Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Game Over International. Uh, my name is Liz, and I'm here today to join you for the third edition of this particular series that we have going on over here at Game Over. So this is the 2024 International Ice Hockey Federation World Junior Hockey Championship series we got going on here, presented by SDPN and EP Ringside. Super excited to be here today. I'm one of the hosts of regular Game Over Winnipeg, and I am joined by the one and only Lauren Kelly of Elite Prospects. Lauren, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Honestly, it's so funny. I the This has kind of been a team effort over here at SCPN to kind of pull together a couple different hosts uh, to host these games. And I felt like it's kind of like a elementary school group project where I, you know, was going to be doing this on the SCPN side and Lauren is going to be doing it on the Elite Prospect side. And we happened to be put on the same show together. That's when we knew it was going to be a good one. And it's the Sweden game of all things. We knew it was going to be a really, really fun one tonight. And, well... Is fun the word that you would use, Lauren? I don't know. Walk me through how you felt about that game, just kind of your overall thoughts right off the hop. Yeah, and I think the best way to describe that game, I think positively, is that a lot of things happened in this one. And uh, truthfully, I wasn't exactly sure what kind of uh, performance we were going to get from Team Canada heading in. Obviously, with the roster construction just on paper, you knew that Sweden was a significantly more deep, more talented, more skilled team than the version of Team Canada that was brought over to Sweden to play this tournament. Uh, and I think we saw kind of basically my expectations play out where, you know, they struggled to penetrate the inside of the slot. They really couldn't generate much of any kind of scoring, high danger scoring chances. Uh, and I think, you know, they were fighting the puck all game long. Uh, the result of this game is pretty much what I expected, not necessarily that they were going to get, uh, I guess, like kind of dominated in certain sequences, but the result is probably what should have happened coming into this game, and it is what ended up playing out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for for the context of everyone that's here, I, I think maybe before we even really dive into the specifics of this game, I want to take a little bit of a step back, because we talked a little bit about the, the roster construction and stuff like that, right? About why you thought that this Canada lineup that they chose to bring into this tournament maybe isn't the best lineup that they should have chosen to bring. What are your thoughts on that? And what do you think? Obviously, we'll get into the specifics of what this roster that, you know, they are who they are. What could they have done differently? But before that, you know, just kind of taking some of the onus off of the players here. What are your thoughts on the construction of this roster and kind of what its pitfalls are? Yeah, and I think uh, immediately when the selection camp roster was announced, there were some interesting omissions I think you know obviously you're missing uh, uh you're missing a guy like Riley Height who is I think at, at the time leading the WHL in scoring there were a lot of younger more highly skilled guys that they left off in favor of you know a guy like Owen Allard to who who to his credit has certainly played up to expectations he's done exactly what the team has asked for but I think at the time of the roster being named there were a lot of question marks around his inclusion inclusion over some of the more uh, more higher skilled guys and the I guess they sort of stress that you know this is going to be a four-line team we're going to roll four lines are going to have great chemistry they're going to work together well I honestly don't think they found combinations that work yet and I mean we obviously saw it in this game they're trying some some new combinations and we'll I'm sure we'll get to that eventually uh, and I think that sort of already manifested itself at selection camp and I was fortunate enough to go to Oakville and spend a couple of days there and watch the selection camp games. I already thought from the get-go in those games that the lines looked discombobulated. They struggled to find chemistry with really anyone there. They brought uh, Jordan Dumais line mate in Halifax, uh, Marcus Vitacek, 
And I thought, you know, those two even didn't really look like they had a lot of chemistry together, even though they play together all the time in the queue. Uh, so I thought that was a bit of a concern. Also, Easton Cowan and Denver Barkey were both there. They also struggled to get chemistry going. And obviously, Barkey was eventually cut from the team, as was Marcus Vidicek. Uh, so I was a little bit concerned about, you know, the amount of kind of like, I guess, they had a lot of players named to camp who were familiar with each other, but that kind of chemistry and familiarity didn't really necessarily play itself out on the ice. Uh, and then obviously the cuts were made. Uh, I think the most surprising one to a lot of people who weren't there was Jagger Ferkus's cut. And, you know, there were a lot of questions once he was released. Is, is Canada going to struggle to score? Are they going to lack that dynamic offensive producer who can kind of, you know, turn a game on its head? Uh, and again, we saw that tonight where Canada really needed somebody to step up and score uh, a big goal for them. And maybe Jagger Fergus could have been that guy had he not been released from a selection camp. On the flip side, Fergus didn't have a good camp. Uh, he wasn't the only one. I didn't really think anybody who attended that selection camp really played that well. I thought they pretty much got worked by U Sports, bigger, stronger, faster team. Um, obviously they've had a lot of time since then to kind of, you know, gel as a team and I'm sure they're very close off the ice. It's just, we haven't really seen them kind of find that closeness on the ice. The chemistry is just lacking significantly right now and it, it's what killed them tonight. Yeah, hundred percent. A lot of people have, I think have talked a little bit about the, the choice to deliberately choose maybe some larger players, maybe some more role style players as opposed to just the most skilled and talented lineup. And I think uh, it's interesting that you specifically bring up Jagger Fergus. Like I think he's kind of the big name that gets circulated a lot, but even in a game like this, when you know you have late power plays and things like that, the fact that we have a team Canada roster that, couldn't score clutch goals in a game like tonight is kind of crazy and I just feel like we haven't seen that you know in the last couple years and maybe it's you know there have been criticism and, and complaints over the last few years about this turning into more of like a skilled showcase and stuff like that where you have you know 12 forwards just playing their individual skills comp as opposed to playing a team game so maybe they they overcorrected on that but I don't know just kind of overall maybe to get more specifically into this game what are your thoughts on the lineup that they did bring and then what you were expecting from them going into this particular match? Yeah, and I think the the lineup that they ended up bringing, um, there's, that's not to say that there's nobody on this team who can score. I mean, you look at Matt Savoy and Connor Geeky and Carson Raykov, who's a goal-per-game guy in the OHL this season. Jordan Dumay, who is like I think, scored almost 150 points in his QMJHL career. Uh, the, these are all super talented guys who have the ability to create dynamic offense and to break games wide open and to kind of be the game-breakers in a game like today's game and they just honestly it felt like the entire team as a whole was kind of fighting the puck the entire time the again the chemistry just wasn't there from the lines uh and I don't necessarily think that their skilled players are being set up for that much success and we talk about the power play not being able to get get it going uh there is a there are a couple of players on that on those units where I question their their position on there right now uh when you look at the fact that Carson Rakov and Braden Yeager are two of their best shooters and neither of them are playing half wall in the power play uh Rakov isn't even on either unit and he's struggling to get ice time uh, which is an interesting personnel decision, uh, one that I don't necessarily agree with, but obviously I'm not the coaching staff. I don't work with these players day in and day out. So if they believe that, you know, a guy like Owen Alert should be on the power play in the bumper, he's been very success successful there in uh, pre-tournament. I think he scored a goal uh, through the bumper position. You know, obviously that's something I would like to see maybe them tinker with the personnel there. I think, you know, if, uh, history is proven at this tournament if your power play isn't rolling you're gonna you're not gonna make it that far in this tournament and you know we saw last year's power play was so loaded with you know Bedard and Dylan Gunther and Brennan Hoffman Shane Wright uh, Olin Zellweger and obviously we don't have the same caliber of talent on this year's team but there are still guys who could provide that kind of consistent offense to get that power play going and right now I think the players that are being put on those units are not necessarily the best players for that. Uh, and they kind of need to change something up because right, their recipe right now is just not working. 
Yeah, 100%. And, you know, spoken as, as a Jets fan here who regularly does the Game Over Winnipeg shows, power play woes are, are all too familiar to me. And I see it's probably the same for a lot of familiar names and faces we have in the chat here. We have Brady, we have Mike, we have David, we have Blake, we have Owen. Lots of people in the chat here today. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We're doing the uh, Game Over International here, the SDPN and uh, Elite Prospects um, combination, collaboration, all that good stuff over here. It's myself and Lauren Kelly chatting a little bit about this one. Can we dive a little bit more into that power play and a couple of the personnel choices that they had on that one half wall is obviously it well obviously in my opinion at least half wall is one of the most important spots if not the most important spot to have the best person in that or the best fit in that particular spot if you don't have a good anchor or a good shooter on the half wall it really can hinder a power play especially in a game like this what were your thoughts on the units that they were kind of rolling out and and uh you know certain individuals i see a couple people are are throwing a couple names in the chat. I'm sure we'll get to the Fraser Mittens of it all, but um, just thoughts on the personnel of the power play and, and what you think they could have done differently, um, you know, including the Braden Jaeger perhaps in the half wall and things like that to really leverage the opportunities of the odd man advantage. Yeah, and I think the biggest, uh, the, I mean, I tweeted it earlier tonight where it's like Canada's power play has basically this Jekyll and Hyde kind of mentality where if they can get possession right off the draw and they can get set up quickly and then Celebrini has the set play where he feeds Geeky down low on the doorstep for a tap-in, that's the one set play that's kind of really worked. And the other one I think that worked was Savoy down low feeding Allard on the doorstep. So those are the only kind of plays that they have had success with on the power play. They're both passing sequences and against a team like Sweden, who's so good at clogging lanes and disrupting passes and poke checks, uh, you really need an outside shot threat. And I think it was maybe to the Canadians' detriment that we didn't get to see their power play until late in the third period. I think if we had seen their power play struggle that significantly in the first period, maybe that would have forced Alan Latang to make some personnel decisions if they had gotten another power play later in the game, maybe when Owen Beck was, uh, well, if they had called a penalty on the Owen Beck hit. But um, obviously, you know, if you're not having if there's no not a shot threat on either power play unit i think at, at some point a, the team that's defending is going to expect okay a lot of cross seam passes they're going to funnel pucks down low it becomes more predictable and it becomes a little bit easier for them to anticipate the movements and you know if you're only having success with that one shot one set play with the celebrity pass to geeky uh, then you know that's pretty easy to stop if you just kind of anticipate his moves pretty quickly i mean the 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 end of the day is just they need to change something up on that power play. I mean, we we know that when I think there's something like maybe in the last like 15 years, like if Canada's power play is not first or second, they usually don't end up meddling, uh, which uh, is not an encouraging sign at this point in the tournament, even though we're only, you know, partially through the round robin. Um, but they really need to find a way to get this power play going, because even against Latvia, and even against uh, Finland on opening day, there were still struggles to get set up in, in zone, um, can generate consistent, constant pressure. Uh, and I think if they can't figure out a way to get it going, then that's definitely going to be one of their downfalls. Yeah, absolutely. But like you mentioned, that that power play really only, we got to see it you know, try and fail, <laughs> for lack of better <laughs> words, uh, later in the game. And a lot of the chunk, a good chunk of that game was spent at 5-on-5, five five, not a huge penalty calling game. Um, I want to talk about, generally speaking, 5-on-5, five five, but before we do that, I'm very curious to hear everyone's thoughts in the chat and yours, um, just before we move on from the penalties thing. Nothing on the <laughs> Owen Beck board? Can we talk about that for a second? Because that lesson I, I was hearing lots of commentary from obviously Mike Johnson was giving his bit on the broadcast lots of people talking on Twitter because we had that one under review for a little while but the Swedish guy is grabbing the jersey a little bit and shoving him into the board like listen I don't think that that's like an ejection sort of hit or anything like that but when you're that tight to the numbers along the boards and someone looks like they could have like separated both of their shoulders thank god Owen Beck came back out afterwards very pleased to see that he's okay because I actually thought he was playing a pretty good game all things considered was that the right call in your opinion and I'm curious to know everyone's thoughts in the chat too uh Brady says easiest two minute boarding call ever but uh turns out the refs didn't agree what did you think yeah, and so I feel like when it comes to Owen Beck, I might be a little bit biased because of what I've done in the last couple of seasons. But I just looking, taking a step back from that kind of, I guess, uh, bias, I guess is the 
for lack of a better word there. Uh, yeah, it probably should have been two-minute boarding call. I mean, Beck does turn right at the last second to protect his head, which is the smartest thing he could have done. You'd rather injure your shoulder than injure your head. And thankfully, the shoulder injury was not that serious. I mean, obviously, we might find something out tomorrow. It's an off day. Uh, he may not be 100% for the rest of the tournament, but thankfully, he seemed like he was fine. He played the rest of the game. Um, it should have been a two minute boarding call. I understand what the refs, why the refs made the decision that they did, that he turned at the last second to brace for impact and he didn't go head first into the boards. Um, and I, I mean, they, they made the call that they made. I'm not confident that Canada would have even scored on the ensuing power play. So, uh, it, it is what it is. I don't really think it would have changed much of the complexion of the game at that point. Like with seven, seven minutes to go at that point, they were on their heels. I don't think they got a shot on goal in the third period until halfway through it. Yeah. So I'm not confident that even if they had had the power play, I mean, obviously it would have been an opportunity to sustain pressure. I'm not too confident that it would have resulted in any kind of different results of the game, it, regardless of whether it was a two minute minor or five minute major or no penalty at all, which is what they ended up going with. So I can empathize with the referees. I'm glad they have the opportunity to review uh, penalties in this tournament because I think, you know, they make the right call more often than not. Yeah. I think we're a little bit used to seeing them be so strict on these kind of infractions that I think a lot of us were taken aback by the fact that they downgraded it to no penalty at all. Uh, that being said, uh, probably should have been, I believe it should have been two minutes, um, but it is what it is. 100%, yeah. And I, I think that um, the the thing with this is also the, just the larger fabric of it being IIHF, where we tend to see them being a little bit more stricter with what they call and things like that. So I think that's why a lot of people were, were a little surprised, but we see plays like that in the NHL that don't get called pretty <laughs> frequently and stuff. And it's kind of, it is a non-factor, like I listen, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know what, Canada lost this game because Owen Beck didn't draw a five-minute major. And think- no. No, I'm I'm not saying that, but it was definitely a little bit surprising to see that from the I um IIHF standard repping. But all that's to say, not what made or break maked made or broke that game. I don't like saying that <laughs> phrase in past tense. We're gonna move on from that. Um but a lot of this game was spent at five on five. Peter Klein, host of Game Over Calgary, who also hosted the first uh Game Over International with SDPN and EP Ringside a couple days ago, mentioned big part of this game. We have a couple of Swedish fans in the chat here. Sweden played a really good game. Like, holy cow, this is a good hockey team they have right here. Tell me a little bit about what your thoughts were on the Sweden roster and, and kind of what their really strong points were that Canada struggled against today. Yeah, I think on paper, I think we look at the Americans and we think that's the offensive firepower team. This Swedish team is just so well constructed from top to bottom. You've got goaltending who, between the two of them, between Hugo Havelin and Melker Tellin, have not allowed a goal yet in this tournament, which is incredibly impressive. The defense clogging lanes, intercepting passes, uh, their coverage, they rarely break down in their own end, which is so impressive. Uh, I think the one miscue they had was the Carson Raykov breakaway in the first period and after that they locked it down and they were phenomenal in this game and then the forwards you've got four lines you can actually roll consistently who can generate offense uh jonathan lakaramaki and his crazy shot uh the players are not afraid to get to the hard areas of the ice to score uh goals down low uh they're just really well-rounded well-constructed and this is a group that is very strong uh an age group that's very strong they're very comfortable playing with each other they're used to uh working well together and you can tell in uh we did a lot of uh videos with the Swedish team off the ice and you can tell how close this team is and it's really a brotherhood among this group of this particular group of players and how comfortable they are with each other so that that is to say that it of course it bleeds onto the ice you know they're so used to playing with each other it's like second nature to them and this from top to bottom they are the gold medal favorites in my eyes i mean the americans offensively they're stacked but have some questions defensively and in goal uh i don't really see any glaring weaknesses with the swedish team and that's what made them so dangerous in this tournament and that's pretty much what they did to canada tonight is they didn't give them an inch and that was the most impressive i guess the top to bottom performance i've seen from a team at this tournament in a long time yeah, no, 100%. And I think that, um, you know, when we look at the Americans, I like to think are kind of just a little bit of a better but similarly constructed team to Canada in the sense of like, yeah, like a lot of 
you know, individual star power and things like that. But the defense is maybe the bigger question mark and all those kinds of things. And, and a lot of people think that, and I, I am also one of the big proponents of offense wins championships, not defense kind of thing. Like, you know, I think if, if you have players that are really good at scoring goals, you should let them score goals across the board. Uh, but in a game like this, like you see how that tight knit defense can, uh, can really change the outcome of the game. And I think that um, a big piece of what um, Sweden looked so good to me on the the defensive side was how quick they were on Canada's, uh, for checking Canada. Um, and what I mean by that is transition is a piece that I always look for in hockey games because it's, it's a really important chunk to look at uh, to understand, you know, sorry, I'm getting a mess. Yeah, to, to understand how players are able to adapt to the situation that they're be- being put in and what the pressure looks like. Um, and I thought that today Canada had to focus a little bit more on making more stretch passes as opposed to carrying the puck out, which I think they're a better carry-out team, but Sweden was on them fast. And they had to make a lot of exit passes that I don't think they really wanted to make, but it was kind of, you know, that's better than not clearing the puck, which we saw really burnt them on that first goal and the second one is too, right? So I think, what are your thoughts on kind of how Canada managed in their own zone today against this really well-constructed five-man unit? I think puck management was an issue from the get-go, and I think they weren't ready for, uh, like, kind of the overwhelming, stifling forecheck that is the Swedish team. Uh, I also think, you know, it's important to note that this isn't the A- team defense that Canada wanted to bring to this tournament. I mean, they lost Tristan Luno and Tanner Molendyke right before the tournament started. They had to bring Ty Nelson and Jorian Donovan from overseas, neither of which I thought looked good at all at selection camp. Um, you know, obviously Matejchuk left with an injury briefly in the first period. We don't know what his status is. Do they need to call a, a third defender overseas to kind of, you know, bolster the depth a little bit? That would be a big concern. Uh, well, because the last defenseman for selection camp would be Michael Butchinger. He also plays in the OHL, also struggle at selection camp. Same issues kind of with uh, defensive play. Um, and I just think they just got overwhelmed. They got outworked. They got overwhelmed. They didn't really have an answer for uh, the uh, kind of overwhelming um, Swedish forecheck. And then the other issue was not just on the defensive side, but the forwards coming back, the plays with the puck. They were back to support, but they couldn't clear a puck to save their lives. Uh, it was kind of rough the amount of times the puck was turned over by forwards coming back in support. I mean, you looked at Fraser Minton down low on the boards helping out, uh, chipped a puck right to a Swedish defenseman. Matthew Paltrow couldn't clear the puck out of the blue line. It was turned over and led to a scoring chance. Uh, so, you know, these are two defensively responsible guys uh, who are going to be very good defensive centers in the NHL one day, uh, just really had off games. And that's also just compiled into a whole string of issues for all of Canada. And it just, you know, kind of broke down further and further as the game went on. And I don't anticipate that they're going to kind of have the same struggles for the rest of the tournament, definitely not in their careers. It was a bad game. Every player has bad games, but it was just kind of one of those things where every player had the same bad game in this one game and it cost them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause, and that was, you know, sometimes you say big hockeyisms and you're like, I sound stupid, but sometimes they fit the bell. And Canada needed someone to come up big in the last few minutes of that game. And there was just no one that had the wheels, no one that had the drive. It was just not the game to do that. And you need someone who's able to come up and and play big for you in those moments. And there just didn't feel like there was anyone on that team who was able to do that today, which is always a little bit, you know, disappointing. But let's harp on them even further. And I want to start naming some names because I do think that there is something to be said about, you know, a lot of these players and, and, you know, we can always preface this by saying these are kids. This is a hockey tournament. It's really not that big of a deal, but you know, we're here to do some analysis. So what are we going to do? We're going to analyze what went wrong. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the line decisions, some of the changes. Obviously, the blender came out later in that game. Obviously, when you have 13 forwards playing regardless, you're going to have some shuffling around. A lot of the shuffling tended to happen on that third line, the Macklin-Celebrini line, um, with shuffling a couple um, wingers around there with Matthew Wood and, you know, whoever else, Braden Yeager. I don't know. It, It depended on the shift. But early in the game, the first line that they start with is Fraser Minton, Connor Geeky, and Jordan Zumet. That line, I didn't think was bad to start the game. Listen, I, they, they weren't, I, I, there's definitely more potential within that line, but eventually they started shuffling around and all those kinds of things. But Fraser Minton gets my, you know, little question mark today. He was not 
as good as I was expecting the captain of Team Canada to be. What are your thoughts on that player and kind of what we saw from him today with the different lines that he was on, the power play, and, um, you know, just kind of what his impact was on the team today? Yeah, and I, the, I mean, I first want to preface this by saying I don't doubt Fraser Minton's leadership abilities in the slightest. I'm sure they chose him as captain for a reason. Um, they, they just haven't found a fit for him. They're trying to use them as him as a utility guy, but a top six utility guy. I don't necessarily think that's where his strengths lie. And I think that's why the, that top line with Geeky and Dume, who have never played with each other, that's why they look so disjointed. Uh, I don't know why that's the combination they kind of settled on to start the tournament. And we really didn't see it become an issue until today, even though it was quite obvious they were struggling to, you know, generate any sort of like consistent pressure, any cycle in the offensive zone. It's kind of like three different guys who are used to doing three different things on the ice. Dume is that super dynamic, high offensive guy. Geeky, similar. Uh, Minton is more... He's going to be a defensive center, a defensively responsible center, uh, two-way guy. Uh, he can chip in offensively, but that's not necessarily the guy I would put up there with kind of those two high-skilled guys. I mean, if you're going to put Dume with Geeky, maybe you put someone up there who is a little bit better at forechecking, someone like Easton Cowan, um, who I also don't think has had a really great tournament, also had a bad selection camp. He admitted it. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of personnel decisions. I mean, the first line is that I've said from the get-go, I think even midway through the first game against Finland, that they need to fix the top two lines. I mean, you've got when the Owen Allard, Owen Beck, Nate Danielson line is your best line and it's your fourth line, there are problems. And when you have guys like Carson Rakov and Matthew Wood and Braden Yeager who are filling out your bottom six, and then you have guys like Easton Cowan and Fraser Minton, Matthew Potra, even even though I know he's come back from the NHL, when they those guys are filling up your top six at the expense of more highly skilled guys, that's where I have a little bit of questions. Obviously, I understand you got to play. You can't just outright bench your captain. Uh, that's just not a great look. Um, and Patra is an NHL guy. I mean, he's proven it all season that he belongs in the NHL this year. You can't really demote him to the bottom six. There's there's sort of this like almost political side of play here too with the lines. And then, you know, with Celebrini on the fourth line for what or what they call the fourth line. I don't think they really refer to it as a fourth line in that locker room. Uh, but with them being deployed as the fourth line, uh, especially in the first two games, that didn't really make a lot of sense to me, given it how dynamic he is on the ice. Like, you know, if you really want to generate something consistent, why not put Celebrini up there between Geeky and Savoy? Just give it a go. See how it looks. Those three, your three most highly skilled players, see how they look out there um, at even strength, not just on the power play. Uh, and then, you know, the lines have to get shuffled. I mean, guys who are not performing, regardless of whether they came from the NHL, almost made the team out of training camp, uh, whether they wear a letter, maybe it's time that the lines get shuffled, regardless of, you know, what else is at play here. Like, they, they just got to figure something out with the chemistry of the lines because even I'm not even that blown away by the Beck Danielson alert line like I don't think it works either uh it, it looked okay against Finland and pre-tournament games it was probably pretty strong but uh even tonight they were pretty kind of lackluster so uh, the lines as a whole need to get shoveled I loved seeing Beck up there between Geeky and Savoy but I don't think that's necessarily gonna solve any issues it's the same problem you have with Minton being up there between the two of them, which they did also try in the second period. Uh, I would love to see Celebrini moved up to the top line. I think you gotta you gotta find a way to get the three of them going, him, uh, Geeky, and Savoy. And as soon as you get the three of them going, it's gonna really feed into the rest of the roster. Okay, there's gonna be a lift. Like the first line can drive your offense, and then everybody is gonna you know there's gonna be a little bit of pressure lifted off everybody's shoulders. Carson Rakoff needs to play more. I mean, this guy's 31 goals in the OHL this season, and he's played 31 games. So the fact that he was the 13th forward, I didn't agree with to start camp. He's obviously earned more of a role based on how well he's played. Matthew Wood is another guy I think shouldn't be really 13 forward. I think he played so well against Latvia that I felt like he had really turned a corner at this tournament and deserved more ice time. And I wonder if you tried them on the second line. They, they need to play more minutes. They need to play uh, Jaeger as well as another guy. Like, 
super highly skilled offensive guy. He needs to play more. Like if you want to find a way to get your offensive guys going, you need to put them in positions to succeed. And they do that. They did do that with, you know, Geeky, Savoy, Jordan Dume. Uh, But there's a lot of other highly skilled guys on this team that need to, that have gotten going and they need to find better roles for them, more consistent roles for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you could sort of do, you know, the, the comparison, right? It's very easy to finish that game and say, well, what can we do that Sweden does? Because obviously they're doing something right that we're not. And, and you talked about the, the tight-knittedness that you can experience when you see them firsthand, um, you know, at pre-tournament and everything like that. And this is also a group of players that I believe has been together, um, you know, for a couple of U18 tournaments and, and Helinka Gretzky's and whatnot, right? Like, I think this is a group that's kind of grown together and, and it shows to a certain capacity. And we know that's also the piece that I always think about when I come to when it comes to these tournaments. Like, these are children. These are 19-year-old boys. Like, think about a 19-year-old boy that you know in your life. Like, I'm sorry, they are not emotionally regulated. They no. like, are very biased people, you know, all these different kinds of things. So, like, for example, and again, I'm a very biased person. I got to watch Savoy pass pucks to Connor Geeky net front and score goals all season long for, for the WHL, for the Winnipeg Ice, my local junior hockey team, rest in peace, of course, uh, for the last couple of seasons. Why not? throw those guys together. We know they have chemistry. We know they know how to work together. And then what you can do is if they can get running together, they can, you know, work properly. That means there's a third guy that's able to generate some chemistry with them and stuff like that, generate some of his own momentum. And if it's, you know, whatever's going on, you could throw that guy off and throw someone else on there. And all of a sudden you can sort of continue and snowball that momentum. If you're able to just sort of, it it starts somewhere, right? And that's the big piece with it is that right now, like you said, the Alar Beck Danielson line was like basically the best there was. And if that's your best line and your best line is still probably in like a, you know, 53% Corsi, like it's really not like they were dominating or anything crazy like that. Like there, there's a problem and, and, you know, you can afford to have a couple games where some people are having some slower, sloppier games when someone's picking up the slack and carrying the weight elsewhere. But it just kind of felt like across the board today, no one was fabulous by any means. No one was awful. That That's the other piece. It makes it harder to be disappointed and, and it makes it harder to be frustrated with this team because no one was really bad. But it's just your team can't consistently be meh, right? Yeah, and I think a large part of that is the personnel decision and the deployment. Like, you, you can't... If you don't give your players an opportunity to succeed, all of them, like, there are just some guys, you know, try as they might, they are just not cut out to play depth roles, depth defensive roles. It's just not who they are. And you got to figure that out really quickly in this tournament. Is this a guy who can abandon the offensive side of the game completely for two weeks and just take defensive zone draws, uh, work on D zone coverage? Like, is that a guy who can play this kind of role or is he going to be better served, you know, on a power play unit? And if that's, that's the kind of thing that they haven't necessarily figured out yet. And they're using all these top guys on the, or sorry, depth guys on the power play units instead. Like you see, like no disrespect to Owen Alart or Fraser Minton, but these are not guys that should be on your first power, first or second power play unit over a guy like Carson Raykov or Brady Yeager. So uh, they just, there have been some, some decisions, like if you can get the power play going, if you can flip that on its head, that generates more momentum as well. Like n- not just at even strength, like if as, as soon as you get the power play going, like I feel like it's just going to be a weight off of a lot of these guys' shoulders, like especially for the guys who are known for their offensive talents. Uh, I haven't thought that Jordan Dumay has looked like himself either for a guy who's, you know, 140 to 160 points in the queue in his career. Uh, I haven't felt like he has sort of found his game yet here. Um, he's another guy like, Obviously, he's on the power play, but right now, maybe if it's not working for Dume, maybe you try another highly skilled guy up there. Um, they just there's a lot of questions that are going going to be asked of this coaching staff and this team over the next 48 hours between now and when they play Germany. And uh, the Germans are no slouch. I mean, they knocked off Finland. I don't necessarily think you can look at that as an automatic win. Uh, they played Sweden pretty well too before Sweden finally blew the game open. Um, yeah, this is a team they can't look past. Like if, if they, if Germany gives any sort of pushback to this team and they still haven't figured it out by then, uh, there's going to be a lot of questions heading into the quarterfinals. Um, because like, this is not a surefire metal contending team. I I think there's a lot of questions about whether they're even going to make it out of the quarterfinals. Like if they go up against Slovakia or Czechia or even the U S 
uh, if, you know, Slovakia ends up winning their group play game against the U.S. and wins the group, like, do the Canadians finish third? Maybe they lose to Germany and they end up playing the U.S. in the quarterfinals, right? Like, there's so many questions about this team and their ability to kind of be Canada, be the Canada that we're so used to seeing. And I think we maybe got spoiled a little bit with the Connor Bedard years. Like, we're not used to seeing this kind of team and this team reminds me a lot of you know a team from 2019 or 2018 where there's not a lot of max contrayer and then the the, yeah (laughs) like like history has shown at this tournament when canada has very few returning players that they usually don't perform that well yeah there's only one this year and i i've god bless owen beck but i don't really consider him a full returning player he only played three games so he didn't even play half half of the last year's tournament games so like there's so many questions with this team and I think we're we're probably seeing a little bit of the inexperience at play too especially in this mm-hmm. game I think you know we got a team with like at least four or five returning players probably doesn't get hammered the way they they did tonight um and if you think about even last year Beck wasn't on the team for that opening day loss to Czechia he didn't see I guess he wasn't in the room to see how the team responded after that. So, you know, there's something else too at play, something that, you know, is this team just not used to kind of having to face this kind of level of adversity on an international stage, on arguably the biggest international stage for junior hockey. So there's a lot of questions between now and New Year's Eve. I'm truthfully just glad I don't have to be the one to figure that out. I mean, that's up to the coaching staff. So (laughs) yeah, absolutely. So but I'm going to, you know, make you role play that role anyway. So, sure. see, see, you know, we have a chance to, you know, connect with Canada, all these kinds of things. And what, you know, looking at a couple of big things that are, you know, not necessarily easy fixes, but tangible things that we can flip right now. Obviously, you know, for example, making a couple of personnel changes on the power play, I think, could change a lot. Um, because, you know, power plays can help you pot a couple of goals that can really change, you know, the course of a game. Like in this one, for example, one or two power play goals would have changed everything. And like you said before, it's also supposed to be a little bit of a cheat code to help players build momentum because they're able to score automatic goals and things like that that could help translate into the five on five game. So, you know, a couple tweaks on the power play and whatnot. What are some quick changes that you would make, whether it's lineup decisions, maybe, you know, some crazy thoughts about benching some players, um, or, may- or maybe just changing, uh, you know, the way right now. They were running a really, like, I-, I love trying to watch for systems and stuff like that, but today I was like, hey, what's, they were running, like, a 2-1-2, and I was like, this isn't even a real hockey system. Like, what are we doing out here? Like, they were, they There's were no system play. right now. <laughs> no, genuinely. So, like, I can't come up with anything like that. And also, you know, international ice, like, there's lots of room out there and stuff. But what are some tangible changes that you would, you know, implore Canada to make going into this game against Germany? There is one change. I, I t- I've talked a lot about uh, the one-timer threat on the half wall on the power play. There is one more change I would like to see them make on the power play, and it's to put Oliver Bonk on the bumper. He, That man is lethal in the bumper position for London in the OHL. And I wonder if a better a player, uh, putting a defenseman in the bumper slot is very rare. Uh, and for him to be having so much success with it this season, uh, I would like to see them do that just for funsies even just like see if it works like they tried him there once in practice I guess they didn't like it because they never went back to it but I think maybe at this point you're searching for an answer to your power play you can't funnel pucks to the inside you don't have a guy in that bumper spot right now who can get the puck off quickly enough and I think the world of Owen Allard he's really impressed me this tournament but he's not the guy I want in the bumper on the doorstep I I would put Oliver Bonk there um the other thing is I would probably bring Celebrini up to the first line, uh, get him with Geeky and Savoy, see what there is because we know there's chemistry between Geeky and Savoy. We know there's chemistry between Celebrini and Geeky on the power play. So can they find that success at even strength? Um, And this is probably going to trigger a lot of Leafs fans, but I think your boys have to come down the lineup a little bit, Um, especially Easton Cowan. I just don't think he has it right now at this tournament. Like, Fourth, like, is there's no the second line was pretty rough tonight as far as turnovers went, as far as you know, losing offensive zone draws and then having the puck go right back the other way. They couldn't even win it back. So, I think probably Cowan's got to come down at least to the third line and they got to break up that identity line or whatever they called it at the beginning of the tournament between Beck, Allard, and Danielson. I hate oh, that name so much. Line? Oh, they did, yeah. It was, we should have so known it was bad. cursed. We should have known it was cursed. I couldn't take it seriously after that, but <laughs> they they got to break it up because I, I don't know. I just, I don't feel like that line is as dominantly, d- defensively dominant as it 
kind of felt like in those first couple of pre-tournament games. Uh, maybe, yeah, there's there's a lot of changes I would try. I mean, you got to move Raycov and Wood and Jaeger up further up the lineup. And then, I don't know, we'll see. Like, there, there's a, this could all be for naught, right? I mean, they could roll back the same four lines and they could probably demolish Germany in two days. But then that doesn't really solve any problems if they have to face the U.S. or Slovakia or Czechia in the quarterfinals. So, because uh, we know they're not finishing first in the group now. So the question is, you know, neither of those three teams in the crossover are, are going to be easy outs. So we're in for an interesting next 48 hours and then an interesting quarterfinal matchup, regardless of what the result is against Germany, If especially if they don't figure any of this out. So... Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we wrap things up, I want to, you know, just give a shout out to everyone who's listening live in the chat. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, my name is Liz. I do the Game Over Winnipeg shows over here at SCPN, and I'm joined by Lauren from EP Ringside. So we're here chatting a little bit about this uh, 2 nothing loss to Sweden today. Uh, before we head out, we want to just uh, give you the opportunity to ask Lauren any questions that you might have. So please feel free to drop them in the chat. Uh, and so while I give people a chance to do that, because I know what we're talking, doing live right now is a little bit behind what people are seeing live on the YouTube feed. Um, but let's just talk super, super brief about Group B. Um, just to scooch, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the the Slovaks, the US, everyone's come up a little bit in conversation so far. Uh, but for people who may be a little bit less familiar um, with kind of how Group B is looking, just give us your thoughts on, you know, what the crossover for the playoffs might look like for Canada and what some of the threats are in that division. Yeah, so today was really interesting. The US went all the way to a shootout with Czechia, which they obviously only got two, they ended up winning that game uh but they won't get three points in the standings they'll only get two for the uh post-regulation win so they can't if slovakia beats them on new year's eve slovakia will win group b which i don't think anybody saw coming into this tournament i think everybody thought that the u.s was a sure bet to win that uh that game and i think if you look at you know slovakia has played basically i think they're only uh, struggle game was against Switzerland and that was the second half of a back-to-back -back after they pretty much demolished the Czechs. So they were probably emotionally a little bit worn out from that game. Uh, and so they're, you're looking at a well-rested Slovak team, a well-rested U.S. team, I think, uh, heading into that New Year's Eve showdown. And that should be probably the most highly anticipated game of the entire round robin. I think especially since Finland has kind of felt fallen flat. I thought heading into it that the Sweden Finland New Year's Eve showdown would be the most anticipated one. No, I think it's actually the US Slovak game. So that'll be really fun to watch. Uh the winner of that game wins the group. Uh and you know obviously the Americans are super high power offense, but they've struggled defensively a little bit. Uh they benefit by being in the weaker of the two groups. Um, but, you know, they can be exposed. And I think Slovakia has the offensive talent this year to really push them and give the U.S. kind of a good run for their money. And, you know, if they can beat Czechia 6-2 and Czechia can take USA all the way to a shootout, that game could be a lot closer than any of us kind of expected heading into this tournament. So Group B is really fascinating, I think, especially after today's results. And, uh, yeah, it's setting up some really exciting showdowns for New Year's Eve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, I'm going to ask a couple of quick questions here. Um, so we have one in the chat here. Uh, easy one here from Carl the Man. So stand-up player for both teams, good and bad. Uh, so I'll start with mine. Um, for Sweden, um, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. No one gets a, no one gets a stand-up bad from me. Uh, but I want to give a shout-out to Noel Oslin. Um, not just that goal. I thought he had a really fantastic game. He was a really fun player to watch. Uh, Sabres prospect, I believe. But color me shocked, man. They pull these guys out of the woodwork. They, you know, I remember JJ Paterka from a couple tournaments ago. I'm like, who? Who? Like, I, I love when we come and watch some of the Sabres prospects light it up uh, in those European teams. So uh, I thought he was fabulous today. Um, stand out good and bad from, from Canada. Um, I'm going to give my good... Um, this shouldn't be that hard for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to give my good to Owen Beck and I'm going to give my bad to Fraser Minton. That, that's who I'm going to give those out to. And, you know, again, we've, we've talked about this all show. Fraser Mitten wasn't awful, and Owen Beck wasn't amazing, so these aren't really polarizing good and bads, but those are my quick little highlights on uh, from Team Canada. Lauren, what are your thoughts? 
All right. So I guess uh, Sweden, the easy thing would be to go goaltender in uh, Hugo Havilland with the shutout because he hasn't a lot of goal in two games now. Uh, but I also really liked uh, Jonathan LaKaramaki. I thought he played really well. Uh, and Tom Willender at the Olinstein, that pairing was really solid defensively. Like they were the that that was I think that's their second pair, but that was like their they were really good today. And obviously Willender had that great goal where uh I think he scored the first goal where he walked right into the slot and he beat a screened uh, Rousseau. Uh, as for Canada, I mean, this game probably should have been like six or seven nothing if not for Matthias Rousseau. So I think yeah. he's he's got to he's got to get the nod there. I don't really think anybody uh, else kind of played to that level where they you know deserve that kind of like best player of the game. And yeah. obviously Rousseau, both goaltenders were the best player of the game for their respective teams. So this was really good. We, I think we've, we've seen enough now to know that, you know, just because a goalie's on for, under six feet tall, doesn't mean they're necessarily bad. And NHL teams should maybe give those guys a chance because uh, they could turn out to be really good and be like UC Saros. So. And literally Henrik Lundqvist said that on the stream and I was like, yes, push the short <laughs> goalie propaganda, my guy, because it's so true. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Okay. Another question um, so, here. Uh, Got to give a quick, oh, uh, I didn't, Oh, I didn't do a bad, but yeah, no, that's okay. I, I mean, want to hear your bads. <laughs> I don't really have that many bads. I mean, I thought everybody struggled as a whole, but for a guy who came back from the NHL, Matthew Potra just hasn't looked like he's found it yet. He's been struggling a little bit. I really hope to see him get going. I wonder if maybe the Bruins send him back to Guelph for the rest of the season too. I'm not sure what whether they keep him about past 40 games. Uh, but it's always going to be a struggle for a guy to readapt to junior after playing like three months in the show. So you know, I'm not overly surprised by Poitras struggles. I mean, the team as a whole doesn't look that great, but I did expect a little bit more from a guy who is, you know, coming back from, from the big leagues. Yeah, no. And, and even like, like the Willander goal, right? Like it's just kind of the prime example of the, like, come on, man, you know, better, you know, better. Don't do that. Don't yeah. do that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I, I got to give a shout out. I have a couple people in the chat here that are regulars from game over Winnipeg and they're asking, they're asking if you have any thoughts on Fabian Wagner and on Elias Solomonson, the two Winnipeg Jets prospects that we have, um, playing for team Sweden. No worries. If you don't personally, I didn't notice a ton from either of them. I thought Solomonson looked good, but I've been pretty high on him for the last year and a bit. So, uh, any, any thoughts on those two players for team Sweden? <laughs> I mean, Wagner, I thought really looked good as far as like a depth checker for checker really good defensively responsible well positioned uh poor Elias Salomonson man like I mean he was suspended for that one game for uh, the boarding call and then he took that penalty on Savoy uh in the third period that tripping penalty where Savoy was just gonna dust him in the foot race uh just really kind of struggling on the penalty side of it all like I think he's just got to toe the line a little bit more and then he'll be good to go like the, yeah, the, both guys have looked fine when, you know, they're not making kind of mistakes like that. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think, was it not Fabian, was it Fabian Wagner who pushed back into the boards? I don't even remember. I, I thought he, it, 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 I don't remember exactly who it was, but for some reason that name sticks out. So <laughs> I could be completely wrong, could but be. yeah. Um, okay. Question from Blake. How likely is Canada to seriously demote Minton after giving him the C just optics wise? I feel like the second part of that question is a little bit of a reach. So I don't know about that, Blake, but, um, and you know, me defending a Toronto Maple Leaf is kind of a crazy thing to say on the, on the stream here. But I think the question is a super good one. Do you, do you think they're going to, you know, be willing to, you know, kind of push the, the optics of the captain being pushed in the lineup and all that aside to do what's best for the construction of the roster and demote him if the time comes to do so? Here's the thing. Before the third period, I would have said absolutely not. Like, there's no way I would I would thought ever thought that Fraser Benton would have been lower than second line. And then the first, the third period started, and it was Beck centering Savoy and Geeky, and my mind was just blown. Like, never in a million years did I think they would ever do something like that. So I think. You know, the coaches are going to have a hard look at the game tape from this game. They're going to have a hard look at their guys that they have, uh, and they're going to have to make some tough decisions. And, you know, I think anything is sort of up up for grabs right there. Everything's up in the air. I mean, Minton, between the four-minute major – or, four, sorry, four-minute minor penalty he took for the high stick or whatever it ended up being uh, on La Karamaki, and then the kind of casual uh, play in the defensive zone, the turnovers, like – 
th this is a guy like if he wasn't Canada's captain, he probably would have been pulled back or, or at least benched for after maybe the second period. But be because he's your captain, you can't bench him. Like there's no way they're ever going to bench him. So like maybe he comes down, maybe he centers the second line. I don't necessarily think he's been that effective on the wing. So maybe you bring him back to center, you kind of rein him, rein him in a little bit, get him in a position where he's more comfortable playing and see what happens, whether that's first line, second line, third line. I, I can't see him going any lower than that. Yeah, no, 100%. It'll be very interesting. And as we often say when I close out these shows, my segue into the outro, only time will tell. So it'll be very interesting to see how the next couple of games, hopefully a couple of games, and see how many Canada has left in the tank uh, go for the squad. Uh, I know we're all rooting for them and hoping for the best because, you know, that's kind of... You, you can never take the Team Canada out of the girl, right? So I, we're, we're hoping for the best uh, for, for the Canadian squad, but it'll be very interesting to see how they fare against Germany and then how the playoff structure ends up looking with possibly some upsets still to come in Group B. Uh, so just to wrap things up, thank you so much, Lauren, for joining me today. Uh, this has been super fun. Uh, SCPN and EP Ringside have been having a super fun time together uh, over the course of these streams. It's been great so far, and we have more to come uh, as far as Canada continues to make it throughout the game. Um, Lauren, before we sign off, can you give us a little bit of a plug about what happens over at Elite Prospects and, you know, all the kinds of great content that you guys put out? Yeah, so uh, we're, I guess, primarily known for our, like, scouting side, which is our EP Ringside editorial side. Uh, I write there occasionally, like, usually once every month. Uh, I'm their OHL scout, so uh, uh, Ontario is my region, so uh, I do, like, a stock watch every month on, you know, guys who are rising, guys who are falling. Um, we do a lot of great work with, uh, like, my colleagues Mitch and David and Lassie, like, everybody who works like I'm learning so much from them. They're like geniuses or whatever, but it's, uh, they do a lot of great work with their uh, film rooms, their uh, draft retrospectives, like always, I would highly recommend uh, checking out their articles, subscribing. Uh, they're like, I, it, I know there's a paywall on most of the articles, but I believe it's well worth the investment. I subscribed to EP Rinkside before I was got, before I was hired. So uh, I, I guess I can speak from experience that it's well worth the price for the subscription. Um, Elite Prospects also has a bunch of great features on the main site that, you know, our advanced stats filters, compare players. Like there's a whole bunch of like treasure trove of like different features that you can check out, play around if you're a subscriber. Uh, and then, yeah, like I, I also run the uh, Elite Prospects socials. So check us out, Twitter and Instagram. Mostly these days, uh, we're doing a lot of great content with World Juniors. So keep an eye out on that if you're curious. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, it was a very full circle moment for me uh, for, for this, you know, doing this official partnership with Elite Prospects when, you know, five, six years ago, the guys that we were in high school with were always flexing their having an Elite Prospects page. And I'm like, guess what? I could really, if I tried hard enough, I bet you I could talk to the team and get your page removed. Loser. <laughs> no, but um, over here at SCPN, obviously, uh, many of you guys may be familiar with what we do over here. Tons and tons of different shows, but specifically with this one here, we're doing Game Over for the World Junior Tournament just like we have game over for uh, every single Canadian game that is played in the NHL. So all seven markets have their own shows with their own amazing set of hosts. Um, can't speak highly enough of my colleagues over here at game over and all the good work they do um, on the seven respective shows we have here. So make sure if you're ever interested in watching the games, uh, you know, we have a lot of people here who may not be uh, specifically fans of any of the Canadian teams. So if you've never checked out a game over before, there's one after every game. If so, if your team is ever playing against the Canadian market, make sure you check out the stream. They're all here at SDPN and all also, just a selfish little plug, we're only about a thousand subscribers away from 100k, so it'd be really fantastic if you could hit the like and subscribe on your way out to get us up to that number. It's a pretty big milestone. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us live. For everyone listening back later, we appreciate the support. Um, we'll be here for every game um, for the rest of the World Junior Tournament so long as Canada is involved. So Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really awesome. You can check out Lauren on Twitter. Her handle is at LauraKelly24. My handle is at Liz Hood, where we're always talking hockey um, with all kinds kinds of amazing people in the community. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a fabulous rest of your day, and we will see you next time. Game!